Hey there, I'm Kristen Haratunian, and I'm an advocate, trauma survivor, and professional public speaker in and outside of the Philadelphia area. And I'm Kelly Madden, a graduate student, mental health program coordinator, and professional public speaker from upstate New York. And we're trying to figure out how we got here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're so excited to be back with you. It's Kelly and Kristen. And today we are so excited to welcome a new friend, a new colleague, and just a voice we've been seeing out in the world, a really important voice, Amanda Grace. Um, And without further ado, we'd love if you could introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah. Uh, Well, hello. My name is Amanda Grace Creer. Um, I personally, I'm a, I'm a dog mom. I got my little fluffy girl sitting next to me over here. Um, I'm a dog mom. I'm a sushi lover. I'm a big musical theater person. Um, but I'm also a person in active recovery. I am a suicide loss survivor and, uh, I have the utmost privilege to, uh, work as a certified peer specialist with youth and young adults. That's a little bit about me. What location do you work out of? So I, uh, I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania, um, but I actually work for an organization called Youth Move, um, and I work for our national organization. We have over 50 um, chapters across the country in, uh, I don't know if it's in all 50 states, but it's in um, a lot of states and also uh, territories. And we, our whole mission is about trying to promote uh, youth voice and create opportunities for youth um, where in the past there hasn't been. So we really want to amplify youth voice and also provide them opportunities to have a seat at the table. I love it. We have such similar backgrounds and Um, Chester County is like smack dab between where Kristen lives and where I live in upstate New York. So that is so funny. I love it. So Amanda Grace, you've really like done a lot for somebody who is our age and is so young. Um, Just Googling you is just no, for real. No, for real. No, it's I don't know like what comes up. Oh no. <laughs> everything and anything. It's it's amazing. And you've just done so much. But um, yeah, tell folks like how how did you get to the youth mental health kind of advocacy space? How did you um did your own recovery impact you kind of entering this space? Yeah. Um, it certainly did, but so I have, uh, have lived with a mental health condition my entire life, um, that out of, I was probably five years old when I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. Um, I also, um, am a neurodivergent person and that was something that I struggled with my entire life, but my family very much like fed into stigma that that was something that we were going to talk about inside the house and in rooms, you know, private rooms with teachers. And that was it. Other people, you know, they didn't need to know. Um, and that was kind of just the, the tone, not just in, you know, my little family, but also my extended family as well, that whatever we were going through was our personal things. And, um, when I was a sophomore in high school, my, my cousin, Sean, um, attempted to take his life. And at that time, still stigma very much ingrained in everything. And I remember 
going into like Thanksgiving and my, my other cousin was like, okay, well, let's go in there and pretend I didn't get arrested and Sean didn't try to kill himself. Let's do this. <laughs> and, um, and that's how we handled it. We were like, you know what? He's getting help. That's his thing. And then in September of 2017, he died by suicide. And I didn't know that there was a place lower than rock bottom, but there is. And my family found it that we really at that time didn't know how to pick up the pieces of our life without him. And luckily we had a very large community of people who rallied around us and refused to let us sink in, in our grief. And through that, I, I realized that this is something that my family can't hide from anymore, that we can't fall into stigma. This is something that I'm not allowed not to talk about anymore. Um, and that kind of very much, I was able to channel my grief and put it into action. And when I started volunteering with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, and telling my cousin's story, I realized that I had a story of my own, that I also have since been diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and through telling my story and Sean's story, I realized the impact that just connecting with others has on not only my personal recovery, but other people's recovery too. And I'm so thankful that that is something that I, I've been able to, to do and be successful at and make a career out of it. Um, and, and that's kind of just where it started was volunteering. And when I started volunteering, I was like, I want to do this all the time. I love this. So quite literally, as soon as it popped into my brain, I was like, I'm changing my major. My mom was like, what? Overnight. I was like, oh, by the way, I'm changing my major. And she's like, okay. Um, and I did. And I've never looked back that even like my first day of classes, uh, I, I graduated from the community college of Philadelphia with a degree in behavioral health. And on my first day of classes, I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. The first time I walked into that classroom, I was like, yep, this is it. And I'm just so incredibly thankful of, of my community. Um, but also the opportunities that I've been, been able to, to, uh, get connected with since then. I just like, can't stop like crying. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am, no, like, so I'm so grateful like that you have been able to turn like a tragedy. It's a tragedy, right? Like to yeah. this, this loss that like didn't need to be a loss, right? Like, because like suicide is, is treatable, it's preventable. And, yeah. you know, to be able to turn that into gaining this passion to like help others like dude like you told my story you know what I mean like and I think that's like this is like the beautiful thing about um not just podcasting not just talking to other people but the fact that like we have opportunities to get vulnerable and talk about what's going on and like connect with another person that you didn't even think that you were going to connect to yeah. um you know, I, I think too, you know, you talked a little bit about living in that household and like what happens in this household stays in this household. And I've heard that from so many different people that like, 
our parents or our grandparents, like that is how we handled things in, in our, in our home. I mean, we did that. Like my mom was a raging alcoholic and suffered with anorexia and, and mental illness. And when I went to school, it was like, oh, Kristen's falling asleep in school. And it's because I was taking care of my mom. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, how did you have any friends or close friends that you felt like that you were able to um connect with or talk with like during your hard moments yeah um I might cry now oh my gosh um is my college roommate and uh, her name is Gia and we we actually did have a falling out and then we we recently got reconnected and she is the biggest blessing that I have ever had in my entire life. And she noticed how I wasn't eating and I wasn't going to class and I wasn't showering. And she sat next to me on her bed. I was in her room. And I remember her sitting next to me and saying, what do you need me to do? And for so long, like I felt like my personal struggles, like I felt like I was a burden on other people because I also, and I also felt that I also needed to be that strong person for my family, that my family was collapsing and I needed to be the strong person for everybody else. Um, but Gia asked me the question that I, I honest to God will say that saved my life in that moment was what do you need me to do? And through just that simple question, I was able to, to find the strength within myself to get connected with a therapist and start going to support groups and, and really start kind of doing the, the inner work of, of trying to figure out also who I was beyond suicide, beyond, you know, the, the family member of someone who kills themselves. Because I think that in our grief, a lot of times our grief encapsulates us and that's how we feel. Like whether it's a, you know, a, a parent or a sibling or a relative or even a friend that sometimes we feel like that's our only identity in our grief. Um, and I was able to, to then really figure out who I was besides the person who was just so entrenched in grief. Ali, I'm like speechless. I just so appreciate that sentiment about when we ourselves struggle with suicide or suicidal ideation, when we have a loved one in your case, when we have anyone in our lives who hits that low, 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 it becomes our identity. It becomes our everyday. I also think it's like, this could be controversial to say, but when you kind of have to almost out yourself and say, hey, I've struggled with suicide or, hey, I have a loved one who has died by suicide and just the like, the vibe for lack of a better word changes in the room it's just yeah. such uh it's such a, a shift of climate it's such like an identity I, I'm struggling to think of other words to say that but really I feel you there I feel like it's definitely like a badge you wear on your shirt the rest of your life um and I'm just wondering how you were able able to pivot that into action into wanting to connect and connection with others, into wanting to serve your community, and frankly, into being a role model for younger adults in your community. How were you able to make that turn out of your grief and out of that kind of like identity of, of loss and grief? I think that 
my overarching feeling was he doesn't just sorry i'm gonna cry ah uh, that he doesn't deserve to be forgotten that he sean was so much more than the last hour of his life that he was the the athlete he was the class clown of his high school two years in a row that he loved animals and sports and he was so much more than than just how he died and i wanted people to remember him for who he was and i didn't want people to forget him that i think it's also so easy to to stop talking about our loved ones after they're gone because life does go on that we figure out a way and and life because we can't we can't sit here in our grief and then life must go on my i think what my aunt and uncle said this year as the anniversary has now been i think it's six years is it six years so, wow i i you know time flies um but it's just keep moving forward and even though life keeps moving forward i i don't want anybody to forget him um so that was kind of the the feeling that sparked um sparked a lot of of my advocacy i'm sorry i forget the rest of the question <laughs> no no that's like that's so powerful to me the idea that we aren't just sharing our own light when we're doing advocacy that we're sharing that other person's light as well and you know it's funny like not funny but interesting that you know i I'm an advocate, right? Um, I like go up on stages and I talk to kids and adults and and share my story about um, substance use and mental health and all that stuff. And the very first, I remember the first time that I got up on a stage and I would share about all the bad times that I had with my mom, right? And it would be like the last hour or the last year. And then like five, more like four years through, I was like, I need to switch this up. Like, this doesn't feel right anymore. And I, and the, my, the way that I start my presentation every time is the best memory that I have with my mom, because it like really makes me feel that, that like that feeling. I mean, you know what that feeling is. It's like this, like, you know, you're tearful and you're a little snotty, but like, you're also like so grateful that like yeah. you have that memory with that person and nobody else does. And to be able to share that with either students or community members or people in legislature which i heard that you do um it's it's like so cool which like i would love to hear about that too like what is yeah. that like like what ha like how um well it's a really big hobby of mine to bully legislators um <laughs> i yeah it's something that i love to do um especially legislators that i know do not see eye to eye with me um, that's my favorite because I know that they don't want to take my meeting, but they're gonna, cause I don't care. <laughs> um, I'll, there's a lot of pushback. Um, definitely, uh, when it comes to, to chatting with legislators, I did have one, I walked into his office and I won't, I won't say who it is, but I will say that he is very much a very, 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 very old man. Um, and I'm honestly surprised he's still a legislator, but there was a very old man who I was meeting with and I walked into his office and he opened his door and he looked at me and he looked up and down and went, 
no thanks. And close the door. <laughs> and I was like, okay, good talk. Here's some information. Because granted, we were, you know, the, the legislation I was, was um, asking for his support on was a bill that was in the Pennsylvania, I don't know if it was in the House or in the Senate, but it was to allow Pennsylvanians to sign themselves on the do not sell list for firearms. And he, I guess, did not want to talk to me about that. But I, you know, my personal belief is that, you know, with, with suicide rates being so high um, and firearms being such a lethal weapon that, you know, if people want to take the necessary steps to, to protect themselves when they are in a good mental health space, who are we? to, to say no to that. So that's just my, what is, on that. what is that? What is the do not sell list? So, um, there is a list. I'm not exactly sure how it works, um, and how you get on the do not sell it list, because it's not something that is voluntary. We want it to be. Um, but like, for example, um, if you have a felony, you are automatically on the do not sell list. If you have ever been involuntarily, um, committed to a hospital on a 302, you are not, you are automatically put on the do not sell list. Um, and those are the types of things that come up in a background check. Um, so, you know, that was, that was a bill that I was hoping for, for support on, because I think that no matter what side you're on, we all want people to be safe. And he did not, you know, <laughs> he did not agree with me, I guess, because he said, no, thanks. Um, and I get pushed back sometimes for sure. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, every, everybody, I hope everybody, you know, just wants other people to, to be safe and, and no matter what. So yeah, that was just, that was just a little, one of, one of those times. <laughs> I think I, I'm in New York state and both of you are in Pennsylvania that exists here. You can electively just check a box. Like it's on like a DMV form. Like it's just that simple. I know it's like night and day compared to where we all live politically, but just something so simple as that is harm reduction And it's so infuriating that those in power and with the power just can't see that because of whatever personal beliefs they have. But yeah, no, I, I don't know how you remain so calm when you're in there. I would just be beside myself. What I shared with a lot of the legislators and I did get, you know, a good amount of support on the bill is, um, that my cousin died by suicide by firearm. And I do believe, you know, uh, I don't know if my other family members might agree with me, but that's okay. I do believe that if my cousin, when he was well, that if he would have been able to sign himself up for, for that list, I think he would have. I think that, you know, I was like looking at this thing online and it was, you know, reasons to be cheerful dot world. And it's like Donna's do not sell list. And it says the odds of successfully um, committing suicide are 140 times greater when there is a gun, which is 
a staggering statistic. I personally didn't know that. Um, I'm not a doctor yeah. or a therapist, but I would assume that the lack of ways to attempt or complete, if that is taken out of the picture. Uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, I think it's, I think the statistic is actually nationwide. I think that the number one means by suicide nationwide is by firearm. But specifically in the state of Pennsylvania, 53% of firearm deaths are suicide. So just in our state as a whole, that more people are dying by suicide than by firearm than homicide by firearm than accidental death by firearm. Um, it's suicide. So that's why I think that the, the do not sell list and being able to, to sign yourself up. If that's something that, you know, you want to do, I think that should be an option because, you know, it's all about keeping yourself safe. When talking to legislature, le legislators, like it could be really difficult. Um, I mean, I've, I've done it and it's very <laughs> nerve wracking. <laughs> it's intimidating. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I would always say to myself, I, I mean, I've only done it like twice. Right. But the one thing that I said to myself was they are human beings just like me and they are meant to serve the people and I am a part yes. of the people. So they kind of signed up for, you know, to hear my voice and to hear what I think. And I think that's like such an incredible position that you're able to sort of poise yourself into, um, mostly because we all have the capacity to do it. It's yes. just like the, the fear. You got to get over the fear. Exactly. And I learned recently because I spent the day at the Pennsylvania State Capitol with um, Senator Frank Ferry is that like you said, these legislators are people, but they also aren't experts in every single thing. And also like I sat through the Senate like session, it's goes like this, like it is so quick. Like I'm looking at my phone at these bills that are going through and I'm like, what bill do they just even vote on? Like, I don't even know. And so they're not experts on every single thing because in that one hour session, they were voting on housing, education, agriculture, um, something else. Like it was a million different things that are flying by your face. And like you said, they're, they're, they're people and they're, you know, they probably went to school for political science. So like they really don't know. And I do wish that, you know, legislators, when it comes to stuff about um, public health, asked more people in public health um, you know, before they, they go and, and vote on things that are going to affect us. Because I do think a lot of times that uh, when it comes to public health issues, legislators are going to vote what the popular opinion is. And the popular opinion is not always best practices. I love that you're highlighting that. I think definitely we're seeing at least like you know, like the three of us being in like the mental health advocacy field, we're seeing a shift in government, in institutions like big university and healthcare systems to have more lived experience woven into decision making um, in kind of every facet, not just mental health in like, I don't know, cancer research or ALS research. It's everywhere. We need members of the community with lived experience at the table making the decisions um, sharing power, sharing their experience to inform those with power. No, totally, totally agree there. Um, I think a lot of the work you're doing also 
is that, you know, you're working with Mental Health America, NAMI. Um, I also saw that you work with American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the chapter in your area, and all of these ginormous players in the game, so to speak, are working really hard to make sure folks with lived experience have a seat at the table in every community, not just the city communities or the rural communities, in every community. So um, yeah, but wanted to like not shift gears, but kind of shift gears. You've mentioned, I think just once that um, you have a memorial, a memorial fund or a nonprofit in memory of your cousin. And of course, Kristen and I read a little bit about that and know, but the listeners do not. And would love to just hear more about how you know, you got things going in Sean's memory, what you guys are up to present day and what work you're accomplishing. Um, and like what, what lives on in his memory within your community? I, in 2019, I think it was, yes. Uh, in 2019, I created the Sean Flynn foundation. Um, we are a, I say nonprofit, but it is more of an advocacy organization. We are not a 501c3, um, but we are an advocacy organization that really wants to emphasize the conversation around concussions um, because we didn't know that when my cousin Sean had all of these concussions um, from playing sports, he was a goalie uh, in soccer, that we didn't know that individuals who experience traumatic brain injury, just one, are at a higher increased risk of struggling with their mental health and having suicidal ideation. And I feel like if we would have known that, that we would have been able to have more intervention than, than we did, because, you know, you can't do something that you don't know even exists. Um, so I really want to, you know, get that out to a lot of student athletes, um, because CTE, um, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, um, is something that NFL players get, you know, a lot of, uh, pound into the brain and more and more research is showing that it's not just these professional athletes that it's being seen even in high school athletes. And a couple have been seen in middle school athletes, these cases, and it's only a being, it's only able to be diagnosed after death because it is a, a scan of the brain under a microscope. Um, so we really want to, to talk to student athletes and, you know, let them know the, the risks. Um, and also that just because you experience that one concussion, you know, doesn't mean you're doomed and that there is help out there. Um, so that's kind of where we started. We have an online community um, on Facebook where we still talk with community members. Um, we get a lot of participation in our walks that we do. We walk with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, the one year we did a walk with NAMI Bucks County. Um, so we do have our, our little team called the Flinny Fanatics. Um, and I also, in, in my, my work, I really wanted to do something that kind of encapsulated who Sean was as a person. And so I created the Sean Flynn Memorial Scholarship. And it's not a huge, you know, not a huge amount of money. Uh, it's a $500 book scholarship, but it is a 300 word essay. Tell me a story from your life that will make us laugh because 
at the core of who Sean was is that he was a comedian. He really was. He wanted to make every person that he met laugh. And I think that if there's anything Sean would want us to do is to continue to laugh. So, um, you know, when we get all these submissions, we do sit around and we do read them all together. I've sent them to his friends so that they can help pick um, winners. We've given the scholarship away two years in a row. In January, we're going to reopen it again for the third year. And it is just so amazing to see all of these high school juniors and seniors um, really get creative with their stories. And because I have some stories I've heard like I'll, I'll share one that this girl was like at a pizza place and um, her dad was like, I'm running out to the car. Like I'll be waiting in the car. And she went to the bathroom and came out and she got into this four door red sedan and sat down and there's a baby seat next to her. And she's like, dad, like where, who's this baby? And she looks and there's the Hispanic family staring back at her, speaking in Spanish. They were probably saying, who is this kid that just got into our car? And she was like, oh, okay. She gets out of the car and then gets into her parents' vehicle, which is a silver minivan. Yeah, who knows why she got into this red four-door sedan, but she did. Um, so that's just one, one example. Um, but we've been able you know, to, to get so many submissions. I think we had two, uh, over 200 submissions last year. Um, and it's just, it's not only like a blessing on us, um, to be able to read these stories, but it, we really hope that we provide that same blessing in uh, college scholarship to these high school students. That's, that's, a, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> I literally can't imagine. Um, I've never done that before, but, I feel like that's something that I might do at some point that's in my, on my life. List. Yeah, as yeah, a fear. just to accidentally walk into somebody's car and be like, "Whoopsie daisies, <laughs> you <Yeah>. almost kidnapped <laughs> me. You almost got me. You didn't, though." Um, no, that's uh, that's so funny, and that is such a good way to spark joy. Like yeah. such a good way, and like to be able to share that with other other people too. Like, I saw this thing. Uh, on Facebook recently, and it was the post office, you know, send kids would send their letters to Santa and oh, the things that they need. And it would be like a new pair of sneakers, size three. And, you know, like, I'd, I'd really like a new backpack this year. It's like a really sweet way in which families that can't afford the gifts for their kids that year are able to give to the kids. And, you know, I would love to see, I don't know if you've posted it yet or if you're planning on doing it, like I'd love to read these stories because, yeah. you know, so often, um, you know, when we're, when we're hearing stories, especially those that either A, have been touched by suicide in some way, or, you know, B, have been affected by either, you know, mental health stuff like it can be like really sad and, and really hard to hear and you know to be able to see a, an organization awesome. that's like shifting that conversation um and like bring some some light and humor into a good cause is so amazing and i i see nothing but wonderful things so please tell our listeners like how can they get a hold of you how can they get in contact with you like what is the best way yeah, um, I am on Instagram. My uh, Instagram handle is no shame in brain pain. 
And um, the Sean Flynn Foundation also has a Facebook page that if you want to like our Facebook page, um, our our scholarship is open to all high school juniors and seniors in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and there's no GPA requirement. It's just the essay. So any high school junior and senior is absolutely eligible. Um, and then if you want to check me out on Instagram, I try to post um, content about, you know, breaking stigma and, and peer support. And um, I just love talking about youth mental health. That's, that's my jam. We're just so grateful. We got to just capture a little sprinkle of it, a little snapshot of it here on the, how we got here podcast. So thank you so much again. Like, thank you. This was so wonderful. It's been a joy. Truly it has. 